Hassle Cattle Company equals hassle-free meat life. That's right. We brought you damn good beer, and now we're delivering to you damn good beef. Hassle Cattle Company is the absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. The Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas. They ship all over the beautiful U.S. of A. and straight to your door. They call their beef the blue-collar Wagyu. Why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon, Wagyu frank without any fillers, uh, two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy, plus their hamburger won Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. These guys take their registered bulls and breed them with Angus cows, giving you that very high prime product that is grown with zero antibiotics and hormones. So, Head to HassleCattleCompany.com, that's H-A-S-S-E-L-L, CattleCompany.com, and use promo code DMVR10 for 10% off your order. That's DMVR10 for 10% off any orders over $200, and you receive free shipping. Check them out, and we promise that you will not be disappointed. Nicely done, Henry. Uh, welcome in uh, DMVR Draft Podcast, Andre Simone. Uh Hank, who's not really named Hank, Justin, Jake, all with me. Officially draft season. I got hyped last week, but now it's officially draft season. It's in the air. It's uh, you can feel it. Hope, hope is upon us again. The Broncos season is mercifully over. There's a different like your guys energy in, in the draft chat is different. I can just I can just feel it. I'm wanting to watch prospect tape. I've got takes. We've got questions. John Elway is no longer the GM. He will be picking the GM, will be the the boss of that GM. What a gig that sounds like. Uh, We're going to get into that. We know what pick the Broncos have. We saw college football semifinals. Uh, We have a natty in place, other crazy bowl games. I can't tell you how excited and how much we have to talk about right now. So we must get into it all. First things first, Broncos have the ninth pick. There are options, lots of options. Could have had the eighth pick, but the Philadelphia Eagles did an all-time tank job. Um, just wink, wink, the Broncos maybe weren't exactly trying to win that game on defense either. Um Elijah Holder suspiciously one-on-one on on Darren Waller a whole lot in the final five minutes of that game. We are presented by DraftKings. We're the draft pod. You all know that. You can already bet on who will be the first pick in the draft. Um, Trevor Lawrence minus 2,000. So, you know, 2,000 bucks to win 100. Um, I think that's how my wife and I are investing our stimulus checks. Enough Talking by me, Henry, I'm joking. Uh, Roundtable, who are your favorite candidates at this ninth pick now on December 5th? On December 5th. Um, so that's today. Um, I would say 
there there are some options and i sent you guys basically my list a couple of days ago and for me it's like if trevor lawrence something crazy happens and he falls to number nine well of course you take him penny sewell is that is a very clear number two to me right there should we eliminate first i think at nine we can say the top three quarterbacks the top offensive tackle sewell won't be there okay i all Right? Like, should we just start from that baseline? Is everyone okay with that? Sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. Just Does talk- anyone want to argue Zach Wilson could fall or Justin Fields could fall after what we've seen? I think I'll- it's definitely possible, but I don't need to argue it. Yeah. I'll just yeah, and- circle back to me. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think after those top four, you have what? Three more offensive skill position guys, maybe four in Jamar Chase, the two Alabama wide receivers, and Kyle Pitts who probably should be gone by then won't work out that way. But I'd say like two of those four, we can assume will be gone. So we're dealing with like a group of six, fair to say that we can assume won't be there. Now we're talking about who realistically can be there. So go right ahead. Okay. Um, I like Micah Parsons a lot. Mm-hmm. He's, he's maybe my dream option there. I mean, mm-hmm. assuming those other guys aren't uh, still available. I mean, w- when you look at the way he plays football, I just see him as like like very similar to that Isaiah Simmons, not quite Jeremy Chin type, but just a, a hybrid defender who can do a lot of things. And while like obviously things haven't worked out perfectly for Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons so far, what I really like about Micah Parsons is that he already has an elite skill. He can blitz up the middle like nobody's business and he's just a monster when he does it and and you see the instincts i mean there's this crazy camera view of him blowing up this reverse where he just charges straight up the middle and as he's just charging straight ahead the quarterback pitches it to the running back and so the ball goes like outside the tackles and the the running back pitches it to a receiver and the receiver cuts all the way back in behind and the whole time micah parson just has his head down flying straight ahead. And even though there's all this crazy stuff going on five yards away, he's just waiting for that receiver to come right back and just plants him. Like the instincts with Micah Parsons, the rushing ability, that's why I'm confident that he won't be a bust because at the very least, I'm happy putting him at outside linebacker and saying, okay, you're just a pass rusher. And if we need to drop you in coverage a little bit, we can too. The reason I, I, he's like my dream prospect at this pick is because I think he has so much upside doing so many other things. Like the instincts in the running game, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. You know, the, the coverage ability still like there's, there's work to be done, but when you're six foot four with that sort of length and that sort of athletic ability, I'd much rather take a gamble on him than a bunch of the other linebackers in this class. So to me, he is the number one. And I see you've got Patrick Sertain ranked ahead of him on your. Oh, did board. I? Uh, it's been tough. I, I just went through. <laughs> that's a the tough call. Yeah, and, that's and a tough call. I'm with Sertain you. is another one that I, I, I'm just in love with how he plays football. Um, and we've got a question about Sertain and the top cornerbacks also to close the show out. Cool. With. Um, I just watched a bunch okay. of him and J.C. Horn and uh, Farley, and so I'm feeling pretty good about my cornerback knowledge. But the thing that stands out about Sertain is just how technically sound he is like like he does not grab or overcommit or any of those sorts of things like he is just playing perfect football and it's kind of crazy oh yeah yeah Yeah. i i I, i'm just in love with it i went back and watched a lot of the lsu game um from last year going up against jamar chase and Mm -hmm. uh 
uh, Justin Jefferson. And it's yeah. just like incredible to watch. I got through like halfway through the second quarter and I was just like, what is going on? They haven't thrown it to the left side of the field once. And so I just pulled up like the pro football focus page. And I'm pretty sure Burrow threw like 49 passes, three of them outside the numbers on the left side. Like he just locked that down in a way that you don't see from the other guys. Yeah. Impressive. Um, I'm really, Jake's given us a teaser already. So I'm really excited <laughs> to see what he's got in store for us. But uh, Justin, you, you go first. Well, I mean, I'm kind of spoiled it there, but certain would be who I want. I just, a lot of the things we said about Micah in terms of, I just think he's a can't miss guy. And when you have a top 10 pick, you want to add somebody that's immediately going to make your team better. And that's what certain does. He's big, he's physical. So it's going to translate to the next level. He's incredible and press and man. And that's just so rare in modern college football with all these offenses and the way that they attack you to be able to just have a guy that locks down a side of the field that way. It's, it's so, it's so impressive. And with the, the questions that the Broncos have in the secondary moving forward, to me, it just makes too much sense if he's there at nine and I'm not, I'm honestly, I'm not sure he will be. Mm -hmm. I think you got to take him. That's been interesting. Now that the, you know, the non playoff teams are all locked in. Most mocks have kind of assumed that Philly's taken Parsons. But to me, Philly has to address wide receiver and corner, probably in reverse order, corner and wide receiver at that pick more than like some luxury pick on Parsons. Um, so I don't know, like of those two candidates, I think honestly, with how everything fell, certain seems more likely to be around. And then we could talk about the value of corners and Vic Fancho's scheme and everything um, and how like the depleted depth at the position has been torturous for the Broncos the last few years. It's really been rough. They get to the end of the year. It's always like street free agents. They're having to rely on. It's crazy. Jake, who would your top candidate be? Well, just to touch on uh, some of the guys that uh, we've already been talking about. My standout moment with Patrick Sertain came a few years ago when he was a true freshman. Yeah. Um, when Ole Miss came to Alabama and the first play of the game, DK Metcalf took it 80 yards and yep. then Nick Saban put Patrick Sertain on him and he shut him down the rest of the game. This is DK Metcalf we're talking about. And Sertain was a freshman. Yeah. Um, I do like Farley a lot as well. I would be surprised a bit if Micah Parsons was there, but I would love to have him on the team also. Uh, we've talked about Greg Russo a little bit in the chat. I don't think we've talked yep. about him enough on the show yet. Yep. He's someone that really intrigues me. Um, you know, I guess he's kind of slipped, I guess. I mean, it's kind of tough to slip when you haven't really played, but um, I feel like he's kind of lost some steam as we've mm -hmm. gone through the process here. I am really hoping that we address quarterback, and I hope that the new GM really comes in and is fair about what happened on the field this year for the Broncos. And I don't think that picking at nine overall is a really great spot to want a quarterback this year. Yep. And I hope our GM, our new GM is aggressive. And I hope that they set out to fix this issue that has handicapped the Broncos for the past five years. Uh, going back before Peyton Manning was there, it was an issue. So that obviously the one thing John Elway couldn't do was get the quarterback. That has to be the issue that gets solved by this GM. So like assuming the top three guys are gone and being aggressive doesn't work with teams like Carolina or Atlanta, maybe even Detroit in front of them. 
I'm looking at Miami at three overall. No, I hear you. I just, uh, <clears throat> oh no, I could very easily see the quarterbacks go back to back to back. True. Um, I do. We've talked about it a bit last week. I think Fields and Wilson are pretty close, even yeah. closer now after last weekend's game for yeah. Justin Fields. Oof. But I've been watching Trey Lance, man, and I might be a Trey Lance guy. He's mm-hmm. exciting, got a lot of tools. I know there's some stuff to work out. Uh, I don't think it's anything detrimental to his development as a player. I think it can be fixed to a certain degree. So that's kind of where I stand right now. Because I think that's the big question if we talk quarterback. And I mean, you guys have touched on a lot of the primary options that you're looking at in this ninth pick. You touched on Farley as well. um, And Greg Russo, who I definitely think is in that conversation, Uh, you know, outside of like O-line, Christian Darisaw, who I really like. I think that's some of the best tape you'll see out there. Wyatt Davis, the top guard. I mean, look, you can make cases for these guys, um, especially for a guy like Darisaw to be the long-term right tackle, regardless of what happens with Juwan James. Um, And then it's the quarterbacks. And, you know, Justin, you didn't bring up Mac Jones, but I'm sure we'll be talking about that post-Natty. Um, as someone who's at least taking a long, hard look at, I do think I saw a mock on Bleacher Report that had him on there. Um, and you know, JOK would be one of my guys on top of Daresaw, and I think I'm kind of a Russo guy. Um, and Russo to me is really interesting, and I know you've brought this up in pri- uh, in our chat, Jake. Is maybe he need he's like he's an NBA prospect. He's yeah. one of these like. 6'10 big guys who can do everything unicorn type cats and it's like yeah he's gonna put on 50 pounds in the next five years just like by waking up and sleeping and eating like his body's just gonna grow and the upside of Russo in that frame that is still so underdeveloped I mean his legs are so skinny it's crazy um like forget it this this guy could be really unbelievable and maybe when he fills into that frame he can be um you know scheme versatile and even position versatile and play hand in the ground in a three-man front from time to time parsons man he parsons aj and i when we were first doing the draft podcast we'd talk about youtubing responsibly on certain prospects um parsons is a youtube responsibly guy because the, the highlights that Hank is pointing out, you see that all that stuff pops on tape. Parsons coming downhill is one of the best prospects you will ever see. Um, I don't know, though. AJ Johnson's my other middle linebacker. Can I afford to blitz my, my middle linebacker opposite AJ Johnson 90% of the time? Because that's what he does best. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not familiar with many schemes in football that can get away with doing that. Um, so he's like an edge rusher to me. And like, we're going to be enamored with that downhill speed in a 40, but he looks kind of uncomfortable to me when he's like, you know, first and 10, he's basically at the sticks looking at the center, that middle zone. If he's just playing zone he, and he has to read and dissect, or he has to like read the run and like, Find someone through the hole, he struggles. Um, I honestly like him moving backwards, but even there, he's super raw. So Parsons intrigues me, but eesh, 
there's some major buyer beware stuff that might not even matter. And Trey Lance, I mean, has my interest peaked as well. And there's some, there are some dudes that popped um, this past weekend while we were getting fat and happy um, over the, the break that could be candidates like this class is wide open. This class is a crazy draft class because a lot of these top guys were going off their sophomore tape and, and it, Name the prospect the last few years, Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, um, Nick Bosa is an exception. Nick Bosa go off his sophomore tape. He got drafted off his sophomore tape. No problem. It's not the case with most of these guys. A lot of these guys, we could go over any top 10 over the last few years. There's going to be three or four guys in the top 10s that were in the preseason that just dropped out of the first round altogether. So, I don't know. There's going to be some buyer beware stuff on Greg Russo and, you know, all these guys missing time who we haven't seen for a full season. So it's a really, really interesting deal at this ninth pick. And uh, man, we get to talk about this all year and we get to talk about this from a completely different perspective because there is a new GM in town for the Denver Broncos, as has been covered on the uh, Big Broncos show, both in an emergency pod and a pod today. Um, but we want to get into that. We want to get into how does the Broncos' new GM opening rank among the other GM openings. Um, but before we do that, Henry, I know holidays just passed. You have just you know such a big heart. You've got a special shout-out on the way, so I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah. Um, if you feel like you needed to uh, get a little bit of your money back after oh, buying yeah. a whole bunch of Christmas presents or mm -hmm. whatever your holiday expenses were, well, there is a great opportunity for you uh, being offered by our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, if you download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code DMVR, you can get a deposit match up to $1,000. It's a great deal. Make sure you take advantage of that because there's a whole bunch of sports going on. Um, the NBA season is in full swing. We're starting to get an idea of who's good and who's not. Um, the NHL is starting just around the corner. We have NFL playoffs in just a few days. Uh, we have a national championship game coming up here in six days now. Ooh, good um, stuff. So much good stuff. So much good stuff. And make sure you're enjoying it as much as you can by signing up with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Um, they have so many odds boosts. They have so many offers, including for new users to get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. So make sure that you uh, take advantage of that. And again, the code is DNVR to take advantage of that. Um, and the deposit bon or the bonus is comprised of a deposit bonus for a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. They're giving out free money. All you need is a touchdown to be scored in Wild Card Weekend of the NFL. Booyah. Max bet of $25. You'll get 25 plus 100 odds. All right. I think the best way to, and I know you guys have so much you want to talk about. I do too, because it's it's the end of an era um, for the Broncos front office. Um, the draft wise, it started with the selection of Von Miller, second overall. And um, I guess John's final draft will have been Jerry Judy in the first and what Derek 
Derek Tuska in the seventh. Is that John's final pick as the GM? Was it yeah. Tuska or Cleveland? Ah, Cleveland. I think it was Cleveland. Um, it's one of the two. Which Weird changes watching. the narrative by a whole lot after what Tyree <laughs> Cleveland did this week. <laughs> watching that over the weekend, it was like, okay, Jerry, nice, nice catch. And then it was like, oh, oh wait, Tyree, Tyree Cleveland. Never mind. Yep, it was Tyree. Um, so I want you guys to get all your Broncos Elway thoughts out. But I think the best way to frame this is to start with our uh, GM ranking openings. Um, because that, you know, that gives us more of a like, across the lens of the entire NFL. Um, and so the openings on top of Denver are the Carolina Panthers, the Detroit Lions, the Houston Texans, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Washington football team. Ooh, so um, I, give it, I, I, I give the floor to you. How would you rank them? What were your criterias? Uh, and let's start with, I, I suppose, your lowest ranked front office to work in. I'll start it off. Um, so I kind of approach this as if I was a potential candidate, how yeah. I would view the openings and which jobs I would want, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so starting from the bottom, I went with the Atlanta Falcons. I think they've got a very old roster. They've got a lot of cap issues. Mm -hmm. They are negative $24 million in the cap. It is going to be, yeah. they're going to have to pull off some crazy gymnastics to get under the cap. And this isn't even accounting for the COVID cap that's coming up. So who knows with that job, that's just a complete unknown. I do like the owner though. Number six, I've got yeah. the Detroit lions just because it's a the Detroit Tough. lions, frankly. Yeah. Tough. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you know, they've got some decisions to make too. And then at number five, I have the Broncos. Um, I guess I'll just say the whole list and then I'll kind of get into it. Number four, I've got the Panthers. And then three, I've got the Washington football team, two, the Texans, one, the Jaguars. Uh, hmm. Why I've got the Broncos kind of down there. I mean, you do have John Elway kind of hanging over your head a bit, which I know not a lot of people, obviously, outside of Denver are a fan of him. So that could play a factor. Um, there's a lot of decisions to make with this team, too. And they do have some cap space, but I don't think it's all cut and dry. I mean, you got to deal with Shelby Harris, Justin Simmons, Von Miller's option. You got to deal with the quarterback. Uh, yeah. Philip Lindsay, who's a hometown kid and beloved player, he's a free agent. So just a lot of decisions. It's going to be a pretty, I'd say pretty tough job off the bat, but it'd be fun nonetheless. And you inherit a coach. Yes, which exactly. Isn't super easy. Mm -hmm. That's the situation you inherit. It was a big thing for me. Um, I had the football team last because interesting as you should yeah. it's huh. a garbage franchise with a yeah. terrible owner and a terrible history we can throw all the cap number all the players yeah. it's not a good franchise it's not a good place yeah. nobody's had success there in three decades oh, since snyder's took it taken over um then i know that he's kind of taken a step back but uh you know that lack of control and that's another one where you inherit a coach and I think, you know, say what you will, Ron Rivera is going to have a pretty loud voice. Um, so, you know, that's a tough job. That's a tough job. Um, it's a similar circumstance to Denver. Let's not get it twisted where you're kind of caught in the middle of a coach and a, an owner. Elway is in a sense a de facto owner here. Yeah, um, it 
in, when I was going through, I actually liked that about the Broncos. I, I thought that that was actually a pretty nice situation to step into where, you know, you're, you're basically taking on the role that John Elway sure. did when he took over with Brian Zanders in actual charge of everything. And, and I do think the GM is actually going to have a lot more control than Elway did at that point. But when you step in and you can say, okay, here's John Elway, who is a phone call away. He, I don't think that he's going to be too involved with decisions outside of saying like, here's what I would do, or here's what I see and why I would do it this way. And, and again, a lot of this comes down to like, what happens when you spend two days locked in a room with these guys and you hear what they're looking for and you get to ask what you're looking for. And so I could just totally have the wrong read. And honestly, I feel kind of the same way about Washington, where there are stories coming out that really just feel like, Dan Snyder is trying to show everybody that he is going to be hands off. And I really think that that's going to be the case. And the other thing I like about the Broncos is that you do have Vic Fangio. And to me, I think that that input, if, if you are a new GM from somebody who's run a bunch of really good defense for, for a long time and somebody who's won five division championships in 10 years and has gone to two Super Bowls in that time can be valuable. And more importantly, I think that, my read on the situation at least is it feels like the ownership transition is pretty close now that they're trying to get this stuff sold up. I think we just found out this morning that they aren't going to try to sell the team until like, not that they're going to try, but you can't until um, the court stuff gets settled this summer. Mm -hmm. But I do think that's right around the corner and maybe the new owner owner just cleans house, but I almost feel like you have a buy year um, where you just kind of take things in, let these guys continue to do their thing just a little bit and then transition. By years appealing. And when I first read this, I really thought like, okay, Elway's promoting himself. Now someone else is going to do more of the legwork, but he'll still be like meddling and making more decisions. It sounds like there's really going to be a new voice on the football side of things to really run things. So mm -hmm. That did raise Denver to fourth on my list. Uh, on top of Washington, I have Detroit and Atlanta underneath them. As Jake said, Detroit's Detroit. Atlanta, love the ownership. Love that they have a top four pick in a year where you probably, um, you know, you still have Matt Ryan under contract, but you have a potential out in 2022. You can draft, groom your guy, and move along. That seems like a decent situation. All the other factors, they'll make it worse than Denver. Ahead of Denver, I have Carolina. Another situation where owners established, buck stops there, coaches established. So you're a little caught in the middle. But, man, I love that situation football-wise. I, li I like the staff. I like the draft capital. I love the young roster and all there. And Houston, I hate everything but Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun Watson goes a long way. Huh. Um, that's very appealing to me. And Jacksonville's number one because of the top pick in a draft like this, because of the added draft capital. Um, and man, is it interesting that Urban Meyer has been talked about in this job. I don't think that even, would ever be Do you possible. even get to pick your team if you're in Jacksonville? The owner's already said he's going to retain control over the roster decisions. And then you bring in Urban Meyer, a dude who notoriously has a massive ego. And it's just... Oh, maybe every, that's we're, the we're, propping, we're propping this Jaguars job up so much because it's obviously they're going to land Trevor Lawrence. And yeah. it's kind of like Houston in a sense, if you have the quarterback, 
you can figure out a lot of the other stuff along the way. But if I'm a, if I'm, you know, a GM and I have my choice of multiple jobs to me, there are good jobs and there are bad jobs in terms of just like culture. And I think yeah. sometimes that's kind of a cliche or it gets, you know, used as just as like an out, like, Oh, they just have bad culture. It'll never be good. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, you get mm-hmm. the right people in there. Mm-hmm. You can turn it around, but just like places like Washington, Jacksonville, even Houston, we've just seen a perennial losing culture basically since they've existed. I mean, I know the Jaguars were hot mm-hmm. at, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, they had some nice runs even with uh, Maurice Jones drew there, but I don't know, man. I just, I think there is something to be said about a place like Denver, which doesn't have the owner, but it has, you know, the other stuff in place. You've got a roster that's not depleted. It's, it's not too terrible or even Atlanta. I mean, I think we're all worrying maybe a little too much about the cap space. You can move some stuff around and open that up, you know, pretty easily, maybe not this year, but you know, within a two year period, it's not like they're going to expect you to do it right away. And I just think having a good owner, a guy who's committed to winning is so undervalued. They have a great stadium. Atlanta's a great city. It's easy to recruit free agents there. I don't know. I, I honestly think Atlanta might be one of the top two or three openings there is, even with all the cap issues and and, an older roster. So I want to talk about the Washington football team real quick and why I have them so high. Just because you look at the team this year, obviously offense is not what's like this team's in the playoffs. The offense is not the reason why. This defense is really young and really good. Mm -hmm. And you're tying yourself to Ron Rivera who yeah. say what you will, I think he's a more proven head coach and a better coach than Vic Fangio. So well, when you tie yourself to Ron Rivera, no doubt. I think you're, you kind of give yourself an out when it comes to Snyder, right? You're coming to the job for Ron Rivera. It's kind of seen that Snyder's taking a step back. Mm-hmm. And the Washington football team, they released Dwayne Haskins. They already got rid of their most recent mistake. They've got some cap space. And I know the draft pick's not going to be as high now. But yeah. I think this team is a couple pieces away on offense, a quarterback included, from being really, really good. Uh, you've got McLaurin. You have Antonio Gibson, who had a nice year as a rookie. Logan Thomas. Woof. Yeah, Logan Thomas. You want to talk about a development? <laughs> My God. that's along. a Yeah, that's a unicorn right there. But <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. If you and, get a quarterback in this spot, sorry, Hank. It's just sorry. you can really – this team is really close, I think. Bad division, too. Exactly. Yeah. And you're playing in the NFC East. Um, to me, uh, I I think that the fan support is a huge thing. And that's actually something I was talking to my roommate about um, last night who, like, he interviewed for one of the teams on this list and was just basically told, like, no, the fans are not going to support us. Like, it's not always going to be a lot of fun. Like, it's going to, like, there's that sort of vibe that goes on. And I, I don't know that I'd want to be around that if I could avoid it. Um, I'd also say that the Texans, that job, like, yes, you have Deshaun Watson, but that is literally the only thing you have going for you there. I mean, and, and maybe that's worth it. It's not like you're going to find a lot of great options for teams that don't have GMs. Like, there's a reason they don't have GMs. But at the same time, like, the Texans have negative $20 million in cap space. So that means, like, probably not the great. first move you have to make is tomorrow JJ Watt. calling up JJ yeah. Watt and saying, sorry, no dead cap. You're out of here. And is yeah. that really how you want to start your time as a Texans GM? Like that is going to 
piss off a whole lot of fans immediately, even if they're wrong to be pissed off. Like it's kind of what you have to do. And you're still two and a half million dollars short. And that's before you start talking about the draft picks. Um, you know, you're paying, Oh, I guess you could get, you could get $7 million for cutting David Johnson, 5 million for Duke Johnson. They've got some room to wiggle around with the cap. I think there's a little bit, but then you also like you're tied to Laramie Tunsil on that big deal. Like Whitney Merciless and Zach Cunningham both getting $12 million. Like there are a lot of problems with that roster. And I'm not sure that you're getting that fixed quickly and you're going to be merciless at $12 million. Yeah. Yeah. He did. I mean, be weary of contract years, folks. That's all I'll say because in his contract year, he sure seemed worth it. Uh, Justin Simmons, Shelby Harris, like, you know, like just be weary, uh, buyer beware, Malik Jackson, uh, Brock Osweiler. Anyways, um, so Houston, it's all, and this is the beauty of this and why it's a fun draft debate is Houston, I like the bare bones. So as a GM, I like the challenge. I think I can sell these bare bones to a coach that I can align with. Um, that's going to be exciting and innovative and line up well with Deshaun. And I think, you know, I'm going to have a high second. I'm going to have a high third. I can start rebuilding this roster as I cut some, you know, some cap casualties. But what you say about you're going to have to start the job by cutting uh, J.J. Watt, there's a few jobs like that where you wonder, like, you know, Atlanta, first order of business might be getting rid of Matt Ryan. Or Julio, um, too. Yeah. yeah. And I mean... Yeah. I mean, with this change, something like Denver finding a solution for Von Miller becomes maybe more on the table as well. Um, And back to the eye of the beholder. That's why I'm intrigued by Jacksonville, though. I think Justin brings up some important points. Jacksonville goes instantly to the bottom of the list. If I, the GM, am picked by the coach, then I hate it. If I am hired as the GM, to hire the coach, then it's a completely different story. So we've got some chicken and egg stuff. Um, I like the cons and the investment, but you're right. There's a little concern that they're meddling and maybe, you know, a little Snyder-esque. But I mean, so it is interesting to see how everything lines up versus Denver, how there are some jobs you could say are kind of similar in some ways, um atlanta is kind of the polar opposite they've got the ownership everything else is lacking um would you guys how would you guys let's say everything about this broncos situation is exactly the same except for it's five years ago in terms of like pat bolin is the owner we have no issues about that nothing to worry about does that make denver much more appealing Honestly, not all that much to me. Like, like a little five bit, but years ago, maybe I just see this ownership group. I I haven't been a, as low on these owners as I think everybody else has, and I'll start there. I mean, and calling them owners, it's like Joe Ellis and John Elway and like two lawyers or whatever. The trust, and the trust, the yeah. trust. And I don't yeah. think that that's a terrible situation because I think like at the very least, you're talking to four people. When, when you're going into a meeting with a guy like like Shad Khan, the Jacksonville owner, it's like whatever yeah. this guy has, thinks, that's what they're going with. And yeah. I don't know enough about him to like totally trust him. And so I do think that there is some st- stability in having like a few people there who are just like, they've been involved in football in a long time. 
again, you have incredible facilities, you have the reputation, yeah. you have the fan base, you have a lot of things working for you. Um, and I'm not sure that just making that trust into Pat Bowen is a huge difference for me if I'm a, a coach. That's a fair point. I think the bigger concern is the uncertainty that looms yeah, and the fact that no one was really there to keep the front office accountable. Mm-hmm. That's where I think this shift is massive is now, well, Elwin, his position can keep the front office accountable. And that was the other thing that was Elway is the big, you know, albatross in all this because he's John freaking Elway. And in this town, in this state with the Denver Broncos, that carries more weight than just about anything as it should. Um, So, you know, even if the buck technically did stop with Joe Ellis, that, you know, Joe Ellis doesn't have enough, doesn't carry enough gravitas in this town to really make, uh, keep John Elway accountable. John Elway does to keep this GM accountable. That's where things um change and that's where this kind of gets interesting um yeah and i and now suddenly everything's on the table quarterback becomes much more likely uh maybe a wait and see approach becomes more likely but you know now fanjo and Locke they've been put on notice um so yeah man yeah i do think real quick that the panthers job that's one of the toughest ones for me to decide because like you have like the young talent, like Jeremy Chin's been incredible. Um, You have McCaffrey obviously, and you know, you have options a little bit with guys like Kawan short, you can save like 9 million bucks or whatever, but also like this year they had $54 million in dead cap and they're right up there at the top next year too, but it's only like 10 million next year, which means they've kind of gone through the shift. That's going to be what the Falcons have to go through where they've, they've paid all these massive contracts and now they have to figure out who they're just going to eat the money on and hopefully try to find guys who can get something back for, or just like ride it out with the old man. I don't know, but the Panthers are through the tough part. And I think that they might have some more upside the problem is like the quarterback, obviously, and I'm not sure what you do about that. So also quick. another situation where it's like Matt rule is probably a part of the decision-making mm-hmm. with who is going to be brought in for that GM. Are you really the shot caller in that situation? I he better be that yeah. the Panthers job is pretty similar to the Washington football team job and the yeah. Broncos job. Um, I think they're all teams that can be really good really soon. They're just a yes. few pieces away. Uh, when it comes to the Panthers, though, I think there's one person in particular that gets me really excited about that job, and it's not Matt Rule. It's Joe Brady. Hell yeah. um, Joe Good Brady point. looked incredible as offensive coordinator this year with Teddy Bridgewater. And Teddy Bridgewater, he did kind of falter as the season went on, but he looked really nice at the beginning of the season. And you have a pick higher than the Broncos here. So you can really go get a guy even more so easily than Denver can. And Joe Brady, I mean, it's going to be tough to hold on to him. I think I, I even saw an article late last night that uh, I think the Houston Texans requested a head coaching interview with him. So that'd be crazy. I and don't, with Watson. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fun. Um, I don't think that he's someone that's going to be there for a while, but if you're the GM and you go in there and you want to just throw it all at him and be like, look, man, you're awesome. I, if Matt rule, I mean, I know it's kind of tough to say now, but if Matt Rule doesn't really look the part next year, I mean, Joe Brady, I think, is a more valuable asset at this point, right? Yeah. That's the guy I'm looking at as an assistant GM. 
we're getting a lot of beers on the road. <laughs> yep. like, eh, who knows? You know, maybe I get hired next year. You know, maybe I give you a call for exactly. the big job. You know, exactly. yeah, that's uh, the the GM wouldn't like me much. <laughs> like, <laughs> they do another beer on the road. I hate this. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, other openings, college stuff. Sarkeesian to Texas. An all-time job in football, if done right. But boy, have people been having trouble to do it right. And I mean, now we hindsight being 2020, maybe they should have never got rid of Mac Brown. But even Mac Brown was kind of... was running stale. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, Sark, who was the highest on this hire? Hank, you like this one? I don't know if I was the highest, but I'm definitely high on the hire. I think that... Like there, there's very obvious upside where you bring in a coach who has had success running offenses, you know, what he's done with Bama again, a whole lot of talent. And, and that obviously contributes to the success, but also he has three of the top five Heisman boat getters this year. And come on, that has to count for something like that has to get you excited about a guy as a coach. Um, you have that going on. You have the fact that he's been a head coach before and it went well. I mean, what happened was he, he had the drinking problems that were reported everywhere, lost a job, got out of football for a bit, and then worked his way back in again, worked his way back in by coaching a Falcons offense. That was pretty good with Matt Ryan. Um, and then going to Bama there, there's a lot, or no, it was Bama Atlanta, then back to Bama. Right. I can't, it was something like that, but, but I do think that a, a coach like that who has some good ideas uh, about the way football should be going um, somebody who I think will bring some energy, which is good to Texas. And to me, like Texas isn't a place where you have to be a good recruiter. And that might no. be a little bit contrary to normal thinking. I'm not really sure, but you're Texas and Texas has a lot of talent. A lot of those guys are going to sign with a bad recruiter. If you can just like hold your own, you're going to be just fine. And if you can draw some exciting things up, then that's, what's going to be really valuable to me. And that's why I like the fit with Texas. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think Sark can be potentially the guy that brings Texas back to its highest point since Mac Brown. Um, I wasn't a fan of Tom Herman. I think he was kind of a jackass, honestly. Um, but I think Sark, he's really learned. Vibe. Yeah, I think Sark learned from his mistakes. Um, he looked fine in the NFL, I thought. I know that they kind of had some growing pains when he came into Atlanta, but I think they ironed, ironed him out to a decent degree, and he made that football team at least pretty good. And then coming into Alabama, he was the guy that was the uh, interim coach when Saban had COVID too. So you kind of have that on your resume. And then we got to go back to Washington. I thought he did a pretty good job there too. I know it was a long time ago. And, you know, looking at the records now, it doesn't look too flashy, but he was a hot ticket name. I mean, oh, back yeah. in 2013. So I think that after everything he's gone through, he's a guy I'd definitely be willing to take a chance on. And like Hank said, this is Texas, man. Recruiting kind of does itself. Um, and I think now that Steve Sarkeesian is coming back from like the East coast country, they're the South part of the country. He's got ties all over, dude. He can pull kids from wherever in the country at this point. So I think this is a great get by Texas. Mm. Justin. Best Anything offensive coordinator of the Nick Saban era. Tough really? loss for Alabama. Yeah. Over I, hey, man, Kiffin was great, but there were still those moments where it would just be like you could feel Lane getting kind of cute. Yeah, I, I just felt like Sarkeesian, 
he always had that balance. When it was time to lean on Najee and just yeah. run it down their throats, he did it. When it was time to take the shots downfield, he did it. He's made everywhere he's been a better football team. I think it's a great hire. Look, I think Texas is a really tough job. I think it's one of those, yes, you have all of the resources in the world. You've got all the talent around you. Like all the resources. Every single one your heart could desire. At Texas, you have in abundance. No questions asked. You have no excuses either. You have absurd expectations. It's one of those where it's like, you know, an an eight and four Fiesta Bowl season is not, you know, that's not a win at Texas. Yeah. It's he's got to come in and he's got to contend for national championships. So can he do that? We'll see. But I I think it's a great hire. I don't think there's anybody in the country I would have wanted more if I, you know, had a a high profile opening based on what we've seen. Really? Yeah. I think he's going to have a ton of success. Man, I just think he just feels so much like Tom Herman to me or like Charlie Strong. Like he's, yeah, he's the hot-ish assistant right now. And what he's done at USC, what he did at Washington is basically what Herman did at Texas the last few years. It's like, take that jump back to respectability. We're back to being ranked in the top 20. We're back to being like winning high-profile-ish bulls. I I would have just like backed up the Brinks truck for PJ Fleck um, or just run it back with Tom Herman. Fleck, I, I think there's a, I think there's some Tom Herman and PJ Fleck, to be honest. It's could be. There's a lot. That's a guy who uh, we'll just say he commands a lot of attention when he wins. And I prefer a coach that makes it about his team. Um, I, the other guy, like, at Texas, call me crazy. I think Gus Malzahn could have yes. done some insane stuff, but obviously that can't happen. It's just a bad year to go after Gus. Had they done that in like 2017, though, everyone would have been like praising him like nobody's business. So. Go get him, Nick. Go get him. We got to talk about that, man. Gus Malzahn's going to be the OC at Alabama in, in a few weeks, I think. Well, there's talk of him. He's checking out Bill O'Brien. Um, oh, I hope not. Who else? There was another former NFL guy he was checking out for his OCs. But, oh. It's a Gase. Oh, oh right. Adam Gase. Oh, man. That'd be amazing. I'd rather have Gase than O'Brien, to be honest, just because O'Brien is such a he's like a <laughs> control dude. And given oh, that Saban... <laughs> okay, but that's my point. Saban is the hard ass. It's his program. If I'm Saban, I'm hiring. I want my players to have like coaches that they actually bond with. Lane Kiffin, Sarkeesian, they got along with their players. Bill O'Brien's not like you see him connecting with 17 year olds. He rebuilt that Penn State program. Quick. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Maybe I maybe I need yeah, to give him more. Maybe credit. Bill O'Brien would have been great at Texas. Maybe that's the kind of coach they needed over there. Like, uh, I don't know. Pete Carroll made it happen at USC. Like, B.O.B. can't make it happen at Texas. I don't know. Like, I mean, Pete Carroll made it work with the Seahawks, and that's something Bill O'Brien can't say about the NFL. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I, so I'll just say, like, and that's why I can criticize Sark as much as I want. But honestly, Texas is one of those jobs where like everyone thought Pete Carroll was the worst hire ever at USC, like some washed NFL coach. 
And then like he led to like the rebuild of the 2000s. That program was insane. Um, so, you know, anything's possible Amazing in a money program like that. Dude, I don't think like since I've started stars align though in college football, that's what you need. You know, it's all about the right match at the right place. You make it happen. So since I've started covering college football, I think people have just been wrong about all of the coaches. Like, like I think it's like, like bold. I think every one of the coaches, like I just recently learned that Herm Edwards was considered a bad hire. And it's like, oh, what yeah. are you, what were you thinking at the time of to course. think that that was a bad hire? Like, like, that program is now like taking off. Meanwhile, Kevin Sumlin was the guy that people were fired up about. Yeah. It's like Kevin Sumlin. And, and it's just everywhere you look, it seems like the, the narrative, I mean, the whole Mel Tucker, Carl Durrell thing, like again, early, but sure. I don't know. People just don't know. seem to know much about coaches. And I think like, yeah. I, I don't expect success with Sark and Texas. I think that Texas is just in a pretty toxic place right now, but I do think that that was the best option on the table. And I think that's a pretty good fit for Sark too. I think Texas too. It's kind of like Michigan and like, yeah, I don't know all those kind of former blue bloods. They just have to look themselves in the mirror and realize what they are at this point. I mean, they're not a perennial national title contender. They're not a consistently top 10 and top five team. They're just, they're in this zone where they're hanging around the top 25. You're going to have a good year, maybe one every four or five years. That's just who you are, man. You just got to admit it. Yeah. Hook them. LSU. Auburn, they're all kind of stuck in that same spot. Was or like, was you on a good hire at the time? No, nobody. No, of course not. That. No, of course not. I mean, he's like likable, you know. Like, Orgeron's super likable. Everyone he's, loves the dude. But he picked up the pieces when Sark was let go at USC, though, right? That's yes. why he was a kind of hot ticket guy. Yes, it's probably why he gets hired in the first place at all. And I mean, we we talked about this. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, he gets re-signed because like, or extended because he might be getting interest from places like Texas or the NFL. So it's just a matter of knowing where you're at, I guess. I think that Harbaugh, Harbaugh thing Texas, too, man, that like that Harbaugh hilarious. thing, I, I think a lot of it was just like showing recruits that he's going to be there. Like, I, I think because yeah. if, if I'm sitting here right now and Harbaugh comes in and says like, Hey, I want you to come to Michigan. I'm going to say, why you're not going to be there in 12 months. You just about got fired this year. There's no reason to think you're going to be any better next year. And so giving them that extension just means like, yeah, he's here at least like two, three more years. Hmm. Interesting. We shall see. We've got some big uh, performers, especially among the edge rushers from some massive bowl games and we've got your questions and we've got a natty to preview hank lots to hit up still special shout out though before we get to that yes love the special shout outs oh, yeah. and that's why we do so many of them oh strava craft coffee is Heck cbd yeah. infused coffee that is changing lives um, cbd is non-psychoactive it's not gonna get you high all it's going to do is uh, make your like back pain go away. Or uh, if you have headaches, maybe you'll just stop having headaches because CBD yep. is basically magic and uh, yep. it is just all over in the Strava Craft coffee. Such a, such a great product because, you know, everybody, not everybody, pretty much everybody drinks coffee every single day. It's just like a part oh of the God. routine. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who think that if they had CBD every day, they'd be in a lot better shape. And that's why it's so nice to be able to combine these two products, your coffee 
and your CBD into Strava Craft Coffee. And also it tastes really good and all that kind of stuff too. Um, the best part is if you want to try CBD infused Strava Craft Coffee, then you can use code DNVR20 and save 20% off your first order. And if you like it, then you can subscribe and get your coffee shipped to you every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. And you'll get 20% off of any product you're subscribing to every single time, whether that's the K-Cups or the whole beans or the grounds or any of it. Uh, so make sure that you're taking advantage of these awesome deals. It's really good stuff. They're great reviews. Again, it's changing people's lives, they've said. Um, and then use that code DMVR20 to check out Strava Craft Coffee. One little add-on, now the DMVR bar open again can come in there, have some cold Strava cold brew. That stuff is the bomb. Bowl games, fellas. Lots of big bowl games. Um, I'm going to start from the best one of the bunch, Georgia, Cincinnati. We were split on that one, right? No, we love Cincy. I think, I, think I was in on like Cincy. Cincy. Yeah, we love Cincy. That line ballooned to like eight and a half. Um, and Cincy for a minute looked like they were just going to stomp them and couldn't get out of their own way. James Hudson, Houston, Hudson, the left tackle, Michigan transfer. He just got a senior bowl invite. Really intriguing prospect on that Bearcats O-line. He gets uh, thrown out for targeting, and that kind of flipped the game. Big, big game for Georgia's front. You know, they were missing all those guys in the back seven. Big nose tackle Jordan Davis played amazing. Aziz Ojuri. I I mispronounced that. I screwed that up. But uh, Ojulari, insane game, closed it out. Um, and my guy Adam Anderson played really well on the Cincy side. Mije Sanders, their edge rusher, really looks the part to me. He played outstanding. My question for you guys: Did you see enough from Desmond Ritter, the QB for uh, Cincy, to to be intrigued by the by him, or would you send them back to school? What year is he? He's a junior. Uh, I mean, I think you just have to kind of observe the landscape of the quarterback class this year and just kind of figure that unless you really get a team to fall in love with you, it's pretty difficult to get drafted in the top 50. Um, I actually don't have a lot about this game. I saw just the very end, and all I have to say about the very end is I am not surprised about Luke Fickle's clock management after watching that UCF blunder earlier in the year. So, I mean, just terrible game management, man. I don't know. That's, That's rough to watch. Yeah, Our coach is so bad at that at the highest level. Makes no like sense. basic, basic timeout, you know, two minute stuff. Well, I think the great coaches, like guys like Urban Meyer and Bill Belichick, that's all they're thinking about in the offseason is like, oh, this scenario, I need to remember this is what I need to do. And then there's other coaches that they're just doing what you and I do on Madden, where it's like, oh, wait, what just happened? Okay, so wait, let's quick do mess. this. Right, yeah. right, quickly. Um, when, I mean, you you have to have that, like a, like a general in battle, you have to have all your scenarios planned out. You need to be two moves ahead at all, at all times. Easy for me to say from, from my vantage point. I'm way harder to do. Um, of course. And then... You know, we had the Florida Oklahoma game. Can I say one thing about Desmond Ritter real quick? As many um, things as you'd like. Oh wow. 
Well, okay. 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 Well, be reasonable. <laughs> um, so I don't know what to think of him. I do think that if he does declare for the draft outside of that top group, he's one of the guys I'd be really excited to yep. get in Denver. Um, yep. Whether that's a uh, good enough is, is the big question. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he just does want to go back, but to me, like him and Kellen Mond, like those are the guys who really jump out as like exciting options at the same time though. Like, he didn't have really any success going deep. They didn't even yeah. really try it. Um, he was yeah. under pressure a lot. You know, there's yeah. weird stuff. Like the, the stat line doesn't look great. Um, but also you remember, this is a Cincinnati team going up against a Georgia team. And you should expect the offensive line to get overpowered, which it did for the most part. He was under pressure a lot without them yeah. sending blitzes. Um, he fumbled a couple of times, which is something that... I don't know how much I care, but Daniel Jones makes me care a lot more. It matters. So that's something yeah. in the back of my mind. And so is he just like a pretty athletic quarterback who can work his way down the field, but can't really hit the deep balls? And what's that worth? You know, I, I'm definitely intrigued by him, um, but it'll be interesting to see what he decides. I think he's more athlete than thrower. Yeah. I also have a theory. Like after watching Jalen Hurts, our are athletic quarterbacks, is their athleticism actually playing up in the NFL? Like, what do you mean? Like, huh. I never thought Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler, um, Jalen Hurts would be able to, like, escape from pressure basically with the same exact ease that they did in college. Like, my theory is, Guys aren't necessarily more athletic in the NFL than they are in like high end power five football. They're just as athletic, but also bigger. And then every defense has like two legitimate freaks who are like top 15 picks who like, yeah, like watch out for Jamal Adams because he's a heat seeking missile and he might find you and you're in big trouble. Um, so that's a little different, but basically Guys can run away, and it's why I'm like less concerned about Trey Lance. Like, I think Trey Lance is so athletic at that size. Like, yeah, shoot, I think he might actually be able to just do that same stuff. So, I guess I like that about Ritter, but yeah, as a thrower, I'm not seeing it. And I think he's got a perfect opportunity to come back. And that's the thing, you know. I know some Broncos fans were freaking out on Twitter. Well, uh, get ready for the 2022 quarterback class, which is going to be absolute crap. Uh, who knows? Because Sam Howell, another bowl we need to recap, I thought looked yeah. pretty good. Uh, real quick on that point, I don't know if this is just thinking too hard or what it is, but do you think that um, your point about athleticism and quarterbacks in the NFL, do you think the hashes have anything to do with that? You have more boundary space mm -hmm. in the NFL. Uh, it might be easier to kind of get on the edge as a quarterback when you're dropped back there rather than when you're in these tight boundaries in the college game. I mean, we saw in the been a big talking point on twitter the past couple of days but uh the ohio state clemson game you saw a lot of talk about how ohio state really gave clemson fits because they kept on doing formation to the boundary they had so much space to the field side that fields was able to just bomb it up these safeties couldn't get back in time so i made just an idea i don't know if that's an actual point or not but 100 percent can't that hit the quarterback anymore guys that well too, that yeah. too <laughs> like even going yeah. back to like when Russell Wilson and RG3 were coming out, the conversation was always, you know, oh, you know, linebackers are too big. They're too fast to do it in the NFL. Maybe, maybe that was the case. Maybe as Andre saying, that's, you know, slightly mm -hmm. blown out of proportion. 
back then you could murk a dude in the open field. Yep. You can't hit them anymore. And I and I I really sympathize for these defenders and I'm not necessarily making excuses but like with the speed at which this game is played and then in the back of their mind they're thinking like I can't hit him high, I can't hit him low, you oh, don't yeah. want to hit him too hard, you don't want to come on top of him, you don't want to push him to the ground. Mm-hmm. Don't drive on him, you know, don't get up off of him. It's just how do you tackle some of these dudes? With you know a dude like Kyler Murray who's you know able to juke you out of your shoes, you're not able to hit him anyways. It's just a all the rules favor the offense now, and with the guys being athlete, as athletic as they are, good luck. And I think that stopping a running quarterback is like its own like defensive concept that you have to focus on. And I think yes. that like teams will look at like, okay, can can we defend the deep ball? Can we yep. defend the middle of the field? Like, what do we do with these running backs out of the backfield? But I don't think that, you know, right now, I mean, how often do we say, you know, Micah Parsons or whoever, that'd be a good guy to to spy a quarterback for you. You know, that 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 would be a right. nice valuable piece to have. And I'm I it feels like because running quarterbacks are still fairly rare, although that's really changing. Maybe that's more of like a week of the game. You're like, okay, what do we do now that we have to face Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray and not so much like a building block of your team that should be emphasized the way it probably is emphasized in college football. Yeah. Like go back to pocket passers in five years after this. Well, it's because it's 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 all cyclical. Like the defenses is all adjust. And then we'll we'll be talking about, Oh, I want a guy that can just sit back there and (laughs) launch it, you know, 45 (laughs) yards down the field. Like, He's not scrambling around, making it complicated. Like, just give me that. That's football for you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's how but it works. It is surprising how all these athletic quarterbacks, it really does seem like the NFL has not figured out just contain them in the pocket. Like, you're letting these guys break contain all the time. Just don't do that and watch how, how much easier things work out. Um, Speaking about quarterback mobility, though, that's a great way to transition into the Ohio State Clemson game where Justin Fields was redonkulous. Um, And he was especially redonkulous once his mobility was impacted by that brutal rib shot. Um, And this was similar to the end of the regular season last year where he was struggling with an injury and all of a sudden that forced him to, to become a pure pocket passer. And he started throwing darts. I really think fields is so mobile and athletic that that's almost hurt him as a passer because he's always contemplating like, Oh, can I, can I stretch this an extra two yards and then make a throw? And, and when his mobility's limited, he just thinks about throwing and his timing so much better. His that slow processing, I think, isn't there anymore. And he's shown us. I mean, he's got the athletic tools, he's got the size, and he's got the arm when his head is right. Boy, was that impressive. Um, yeah. And then Trevor Lawrence, once again on the biggest stage, not his best game, getting outplayed by a fellow top prospect similar to that Burrow. Um, performance against uh, Clemson last year. Uh, thoughts on this one, fellas? And shoot, neither of these guys were probably the best prospect in the game. I think the best performance was Trey Sermon by uh, by a, a mile. Trey Sermon, oh my God, you are so good. Didn't get that second touchdown, though. Would have cashed me a ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Sermon's sick, though, man. I'm so glad he came back healthy and is finally showing what we saw at Oklahoma before the injury. Um, 
I feel like I'm pretty set at the top when it comes to running backs, but Trey Sermon's quickly making a case to enter the top five at the lower yeah. end of that. Uh, when it comes to the quarterbacks, though, I I can get the concerns about Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to worry too much about it, though, man. Um, Justin Fields, that was just spectacular. Again, I'm not going to try and get too high on that. I do have Wilson over Fields still, uh, just because I think Wilson had the better body of work just over the course of the season. Yeah. Uh, he played more games, too. I got to see more. Um, yep. You know, We'll go back and watch some 2019 and stuff and kind of line it all up. But yeah, just a tremendous performance from Fields. He hurt himself though, right? I mean, on that run, he put his back into the tackler. Then the poor guy gets thrown out of the game, man. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, the targeting is the most flawed rule in college football. It's just, it's not executed, right? He did drop his helmet. Like, if we're like, you know, but yeah, it, the rule was, it was put in to try and get rid of quarterbacks sliding and getting blown up in the open field. And receivers getting killed, you know, out on the sideline, just getting killed when they're trying to make a play on the ball. That is what targeting was supposed to be. You know it when you see it. And like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a gnarly hit. He he speared the dude in the back. It should have been a penalty. But to it, field spun it, into it though. That's I know. And that's why it's like, yes, it's yeah. it's so hard. It's the same deal with like, how do you tackle a quarterback? How do you, you know, adjust at full speed a guy like Fields who can hit you with the spin move or a juke or something like yeah. that? No, it's, just it's keep so your head hard up. to play defense. Yes. Just keep your head up. Like keep just don't drop up. your head because the thing is like, not only by keeping your head up, are you able to avoid the penalty? Well, guess what? You also don't wind up with the tip of a guy's head, just like an arrow into the back of the starting quarterback, you know, because, because it's, it, it's not as bad as taking a shot to the helmet or anything. Like he's not going to be dizzy for the next two months or whatever, but what's going to happen is the guy's back's going to hurt really bad. And that's kind of a dick move. And, and, the, <laughs> and that shouldn't be allowed. And if you just keep your face up, then you're, you're not going to, first of all, get the penalty. You're also not going to hurt him that bad. And that's what the penalty is all about. But I do agree. Like you don't need to get kicked out of the game for that. Like, like you should, that's a 15 yard penalty. And I think that, the targeting rule, yeah, it sucks and it's caused a lot they of problems. You have to fix it, man. Yep, you have to fix it. I don't think that like it's it's unsalvageable. There's a couple little tweaks. Like, got to be hitting a guy in the head to get kicked out. I think that that's the first rule that needs to change. Exactly, blatant head hunting needs to be penalized. We need absolutely the BYU game against Coastal when number ninety four at the end of the first half is just completely decking Zach Wilson over and over and over. How that doesn't get penalized. And this poor kid gets thrown out of the game because Justin Fields is scrambling and he kind of spun into the guy who was tackling. I admit not great tackling for him, but still like, I mean, it's a fast game. What do you want him to do? And this other guy's just mugging Zach Wilson, no penalty. It's, they got to fix it. It's terrible. It's the worst part about college football at this point. Yeah. I'm sick of it. Well, first two games we broke down heavily impacted by targeting. And yes, the refereeing on these bulls, atrocious, atrocious. What was also atrocious in this game? I'm surprised you haven't brought it up, Jake. Uh, Sean Wade, like, oh yes, R.I.P. to his draft stock. Uh, Clemson wide receivers were absolutely undressing him. Look, he, he might still be valuable as a slot corner. He might still be valuable as a converted safety. I would be more surprised at this point to see Sean Wade drafted in the first round 
than I would him not going in the top 100 at all. So him dropping out of the top 100 would surprise me less than him going in the first round at this point. Another of those guys, he'd opted out. If he doesn't play this season, yep. I bet you anything he's a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. Cost himself a ton of money. Um, so be weary of that sophomore tape because it can be extra deceiving. You don't know until these guys are fully tested. And then, uh, you know, Bama Notre Dame. I leave the floor to you beyond Devonte Smith being a God and Najee Harris being a stud. Notre Dame what, what else do you say? Notre Dame covered Ian book, man. He was determined on those final drives. Yep. Look, yeah, I lost a lot of money in that second <laughs> half. Guys. A lot of money. But, yeah, book, though, um, it was gonna happen. Real quick. Cause I know we're about to gush about Alabama, but Ian book, I thought he had a pretty good game again. Um, I mean, he was making plays on the ground. He did have the interception that was pretty bad, mm-hmm. but that really was the only kind of blip on the radar in terms of a bad game from him. Uh, he actually came out with a pretty decent QBR, 72.5. So he was efficient. He was finding guys. Um, I just don't think uh, – Todd McShay talked about it during the broadcast. I don't think Notre Dame had the speed really to just compete with Alabama on the outside. Mm-hmm. So that was – it wasn't Ian Book's fault at all, this game, yeah. how it went, and I think he – Definitely earned himself some brownie points in the eyes of some NFL execs and scouts. Another Notre nice Dame outing hung, by Certain. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people wrote off Notre Dame and thought it would be kind of like that Michigan State-Alabama quarterfinal game from, you know, yeah. a couple years back where it was just like, my God, Honor what have we been doing Oof. here? You know, just wasting our time. Yeah, It wasn't that case. I mean, you could see Notre Dame is one of the four best teams in the country this year. But the talent gap is just it it's so significant. Massive. And it, it played out, you know, over the course over the course of a four quarter game. God, man, just Devontae Smith and what he's accomplished. And now Jalen Waddle, guys. Jalen Waddle's clear. Yes. Yes. We'll see if he That's plays or not. Crazy. It's gonna be his decision. But crazy. I, I have a feeling he's probably he's gonna practicing. play a little bit. I know. Devontae Smith. There's some real debate that he might not even be one of the first two wide receivers taken in this class, which I, I get. He has what the greats have, um, a competitiveness that is unique and really stands out. And I, in everything, when he blocks for the run, when he attacks the ball at, you know, at, at the highest point to compete on every single grab, He's got that Anquan Bolden, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. I'm coming down with this. This is my ball, or I'm blocking your ass out of the way. This is my gap. Think about him that. Oof. That catch radius, dude. Yes. There were like three or four catches in that where Mac just threw it up. It just, oh, Devontae will get it. And he just goes up and snatches it, man. He's he's such a stud. I I I get that there's some really, really talented receivers in this class. And there's some dudes that are going to wow at the combine. And, you know, GMs are going to fall in love with that. But like Andre said, man, give me a guy that's just a proven gamer. And he, I know that can, like, kind of be used as a cliche for some guys that are not that good, like yeah. Tim Tebow. You know, he's, oh, he's a gamer, dog. Like, he just wins. Okay, but he couldn't throw a football. Devontae Smith, 
he's an elite wide receiver. He's not the fastest. He's not, you know, the strongest. He doesn't jump as high as some of the other guys. But when it's, you know, time to play, that dude just produces. What a career. What a season. I hope he caps it off with the title. That Ohio State offense, though, man, it it makes me nervous. And we didn't even talk about Chris Olave. He had a great game, too. Yeah, he did. Incredible game from Olave. This wide receiver clock. Stacked. Just stacked. Just stacked. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown declared, too. I mean, forget it. It's so stacked. Who ain't? Tyler Vaughn's. I almost, oh, almost okay. like him better than Almond Ross St. Brown. That guy gets a little bit of The name. game is going to get postponed, though. So hopefully that doesn't happen. The Natty? Yeah. Just uh, about 10 minutes ago, Ohio State has some COVID issues. So po- they're talking about moving the game oh. back to the 19th. As long as they play, honestly. Yeah. Um, real quick on Devontae Smith, though. I know that we already touched on it. The combine is not going to be his event, right? This is one of those situations where you just you document this moment in time. You remember yes. what you've seen on the field, yes. and you just forget about it until April, man. This just feels a lot strong. like the Jerry Judy conversation last year. Exactly. Just stay don't worry about strong. it. The guy can ball, and you know he's not the biggest or the fastest. He's got tremendous length, and I think that's a reason why yeah. Mac Jones kind of throws it up to him is because yeah. he can literally reach over people and he doesn't have to be super athletic and out jump them or outrun them. He's just frankly longer and can reach further than them. So that's something that I I guess it's not an elite trait per se, but it's something that definitely matters and will translate for sure. You're essentially married to Devante Smith's stock. You're being sent off to a sorority for the next four months Leave that temptation aside. Stay married to Devonte Smith stock. You won't be disappointed. Beautiful. Um, that was so good. That was so oh, good. Beautiful. Drink. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I am a poet. Um, you guys can think up stuff about that you want to touch on for North Carolina A and M or Iowa State, Oregon. I'm going to start to jump into the two questions. I think we're just going to wait on the Natty preview if it's up in the air. If we well, need to do an emergency natty preview pod, we will. Fair. But it's going to happen in like a week, so we're not worried yeah. about it. Justin, is that a good call? Yeah, we're going to plan. I mean, we can talk just an hour on the national championship. Yeah. So. We sure could with the matchups in this game and the talents that are there. out. Absolutely. So we start with orange and blue Aussie. By the way, Devontae Smith now the favorite to win the Heisman. It's As happening. he should. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's locked in. Um, Orange and blue asks, great pod boys. It's funny when you only get highlights, how you can fall for a player and be so wrong. Trask failed his task, cost himself money, and is clearly day two pick now. I wouldn't be shocked to see him go in the third. I'll admit I got caught up in his numbers, but I was wrong. Arm strength, not great, and needs playmakers to succeed. Fields, on the other hand, has locked himself in as a top 10 pick most likely two to six area, unless he has a bad college football invitational championship game. Guys, break down the cornerback battle between Farley, Sertain, and Horn. It's hard to get a good read on college players here in Australia as we just get the ESPN games, which aren't usually Power 5 games. Very interesting. I wonder if they've got the AAC over there or what's going on in Australia's ESPN. Anyways, cornerbacks... Henry, you uh, Horn certain Farley, 
you called your shot earlier. You kind of broke down Sertain already. Um, Sertain clearly your top guy. Farley your next guy. Where does Horn fall in all that? Um, what I want to say first is that like all of them are good cornerbacks, and you could talk yourself into any of them. And I'm not sure how big the gap is between Sertain and the other two is, but what I will say is that one of the reasons I really like Sertain is because he is so polished right now. Um, like I said, like you, you watch him just use perfect technique, the way he turns his head around to play the ball, the way he like boxes guys. Out. It's just a very clean, precise game. And it's what you expect when his father was an all pro cornerback and you have that sort of history. And those bloodlines make me feel even more confident. The fact that he's going up against these Bama receivers every day in practice makes me more confident. And there's just so much to like, where even if maybe he doesn't have the top end speed of a couple of those other guys, I don't think that that's too big of a deal. Although, you know, with the Broncos playing the chiefs, it is something that you have to keep in mind. Um, With Farley though, he does have that top end speed and he is explosive. And, and, you know, there's the game against uh, Miami last year where he's just beating guys up. Like, like he's, he's flying into the backfield, seeing a running back leak out behind him doing a 180 in just like two steps. He's turned all the way around and he's just on the guy's hip and just has him blanketed. You you see him go down the field and just box out those little receivers. And it's very obvious that he can dominate against inferior competition, which he saw a lot of um, when playing in the ACC. Like three, four weeks after that uh, Miami game, though, he goes and plays Notre Dame. And the first drive, Cole Komet just runs across the field, gets wide open, and he gives up. I think that was a first down. The next play or a couple plays later, same drive, Chase Claypool torches him. The next play, there was another guy who I've never heard of a receiver from Notre Dame who beat him too. And then after that, he gets called for penalty. And this is all in the first drive. And he can be a little bit handsy and he isn't always like in the right spot, but you see the upside. With JC Horn, he's like big and strong and uh, like great instincts breaking on the ball. Like he's the type of guy who's almost like Richard Shermany in his ability to find to, to, to leave his man and, and jump to somebody else's zone and make a play. Um, maybe again, not all that polished, you know, can he keep up right. with the speed down the field? Um, I don't love him as much as a tackler. And that's why certain just like he checks every single box except for like elite foot speed. And I'm not sure if yeah. you're a good corner that you need to rely on that too much. So that's kind of where I stand right now. The, the Farley horn debate is a good one, but I go Farley just because of the talent again, sophomore, we didn't play this year though. And we don't love those. Yeah. Yeah. Complex, but I like that breakdown. Um, certain any concerns about his tackling physicality? No, I'm, nope. I'm going to be honest. I haven't really gone too in depth yet, but nothing from watching Alabama live has given me real cause to con- of concern here. I mean, he's not like a, he's not like a stellar all-star open field tackler. Yeah. But you know, it, it's not, it's not like anything you're concerned about. I say he's, he, you know, he's a form tackler, wrap you up type of guy, not a, you know, I'm going to run through you yeah. type of tackler. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And he's, yeah, he's strong too. He has like grown Very man strength, which is something yeah. that maybe horn has, but Farley doesn't at this point. Love and when baby. he does wrap you up, like it's not a wrap up and drag down it's wrap up and plant you backwards. Like he has that sort of strength. Um, He can like stop a guy at the six a little bit, but he isn't like a true hitter. Yeah. Right, right. He's not like, oh man, here's a screen to certain side. He's coming flying downhill. Like, not you. 
he'll take his time, make sure he doesn't overrun anything and make that sound tackle where he needs to. Um, And, you know, I think I thought Tyson Campbell played pretty good in that bowl against Cincy. Uh, He's got a lot of talent. Darian Kendrick um, from Clemson. He's like twitched up. There's a lot to work with him. Paulson Adebo, Mm -hmm. Israel Mukuamu, the other South Carolina corner. We haven't seen those guys play for a couple years for a year now. Um, But those are a couple other of the top corners. Um, in this class with Eric Stokes, the other Georgia. And then our final question from Pastor Rhett. Happy draft season. Going into the season, I would love to hear your bold predictions for the draft this year. Let's do that real quick. Bold predictions for the draft before we get to the call your shot December 5th. What's the surprise of the draft? You could say Jalen Waddle is still the first receiver drafted. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a great one. That's a great one. <laughs> um, well, I'm gonna go big on quarterbacks in the first round. Uh, let's say I'll say just to make it a nice hot take. All all six is that right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, yeah all six yep. are are gone in the first round. You know, you think about a guy like Trask. Like, is he a first round pick? Um. When I see a team like New Orleans at 29, Pittsburgh at 28, um, the Jets even at 27, I, I think that there are some teams at the back end who could be interested in him and c- could think they could make it work. I mean, no running I backs mean, go in the first round. Interesting. Mm. I think Najee is a first round player personally. I think he should be. <laughs> I oh, think, man. I think he will. I think he's pretty dynamic. And I think that. Once he goes to the combine, and I think he's really going to own that, he's going to probably solidify himself. I want to go back to Hank's point, though. I do like that bold prediction because taking quarterbacks in the first round really kind of is the move just because of that fifth-year option. It's so valuable, and it's even more valuable to quarterbacks. You know, If you're a team at the back end of the first and you're kind of between Trask and another guy, I could definitely see why even with his limitations and the fact that he's probably going to be the last picks that you would maybe want to pick Trask in that first round. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's that, that second tier is interesting. We've talked about Ian books and Ellinger declared. We'll see what the Cincy kid does. I like the Malik Willis. Yeah. Um, Because yeah, I mean, Trask definitely better than those dudes. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be an offensive heavy draft and we could see like two thirds of the first round be just offensive prospects. I also just know to expect the unexpected. Um, I've got a bonus one. Go for it. One of these opt-out guys that we have in the top half of the first round drops out of the first round. That's a good one. Mm. Like like Russo would probably be a star. Er. I, I don't Russo think would be a stretch. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, could some, like one a, of those guys. Exactly. Apparently, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's possible. Could see that. Could see that. Are we sure? Uh, are we sure that Kyle Pitts is going to go before Denver picks? And if he's there, I don't think so. With Albert O, with Albert O, that's what makes it so hard. God, they ran so much 12 and 13 personnel towards the end of the year, too. Yeah. I w- but do you think that's oh. something we see going forward? I, yeah, probably so, with yeah. Albert O. 
I mean, he was I mean, fourth round pick, fourth, fifth round, whatever it was. It's not a high pick, but you saw how involved he was early on. I think that speaks a lot to their plans for him. Yeah. They will yeah. end up passing on an incredible talent at wide receiver tight end. Incredible. I'll, yeah. I'll add. I have no doubt about it. Makes me sad. As my bonus take, I know certain like right now, it's kind of like supposed to be in like the teens or something. I, I think that he probably won't be there when the Broncos pick. I think mm, he's going to go up too. the board. Just the, this, such a smooth Someone's player. Someone's going to fall in love. He's so good. He he is. And like, you can tell that like, he's just so used to going up against like Jerry Judy and all these guys in practice, just like the patience when he's dropping back, he's not over committing. He's not like for as much as I like the other two, they can be a little bit jumpier and, and a little bit more reactive. Whereas he just like, he lets the game come to him in a way that I think will serve him very well. Maybe my bold prediction is that the first three picks will all be quarterbacks. I like that a lot. Someone has mm. to move up to that third pick to either get Wilson or Fields. Um, and then the fourth pick is a race for Penny Sewell. Or it's Miami. Like we talked about in the group chat. I love Tua, but I'm just saying they didn't exactly throw it, show him a ton of confidence. That'd be, I, man, don't we kids, I could go on about that topic. <laughs> oh man. That'd be nice. I, I don't like the idea or I do like the idea of just grabbing a second quarterback. Just if you're in the position, just saying, you know what, one of these two guys is going to hit. I, I, it'd be kind of like a novel thing to do at this point, but I don't mind it. It's the Josh Rosen situation if you do that. I mean, if you trade Max, yeah. I mean, assuming you'd have to do something with the one that doesn't work out, though, right? Eventually. But I mean, it's probably the most surefire way to make sure that you get a quarterback that can actually play, you know, bring in competition and just go with the best one. I mean, you don't have to pay either one of them for five years. Yep. Yeah. You don't have to deal with free agency. It's the easiest way to do it, really. I mean, you're using draft capital, but. Yeah, the ideal did, like Drew Brees, Philip Rivers is kind of the ideal situation. Yeah. What did the Pats get for Garoppolo? Second, second, yeah. Yeah. Should have got more, but yeah, yeah, that's it. In no, that protest, was... Belichick kind of gave him exactly. the Niners because he knew that would be a situation where he'd probably be proven right. It, weird stuff. Anyways, we go back to Pastor Rhett's question. You got us going on the bold predictions, Pastor. We appreciate that. His, mine has been, and will continue to be, that Xavier College out of Tulsa will be a top 15 pick, be consensus LB2, and will significantly close the gap between him and Micah Parsons by the time April rolls around. Quintuple fire emoji. He will obliterate the combine at near 260 pounds, and his tape shows dominance of his level of competition in the AAC. He's smart. He plays fast and violent, and he's got wildly good instincts and coverage. There's a linebacker out there that Vic will fall in love with. It's Xavier. Smart, big, versatile. Just imagine lining up next to AJ and walking them off the bus together. Oh, gush session over. Okay, gush session over. Grace and peace, y'all. That's a good one. To me, Xavier Collins, um, if you're if you're a Spider-Man fan, he's like the the Venom Spider-Man. Um, or if you're a Seinfeld fan, Bizarro World. Xavier uh, Collins is Bizarro World Micah Parsons. 
Micah Parsons should be an inside linebacker who will be an edge rusher. Xavier College should be a super athletic edge rusher, but he has to be an off-ball linebacker because coming downhill, he he leaves me wanting more. Xavier, if you could figure out the downhill stuff, you're amazing sideline to sideline. You're great going back. You are 260 pounds. You're built like an edge rusher, but you're lacking that instant coming downhill taking on offensive linemen, taking on contact. That's why I'm struggling with Xavion. Also, that fire take implies that my guy, J.O.K., will be taken after Mr. Collins. Eh, not so fast, my friend. Um, so there you go. Any Anything to say to, to Pastor Red on that, folks? So this is just kind of, I guess, some nerdy scout talk, but I think sure. it's easier to teach someone to go backwards and side to side than it is to go forward. Cause I think going forward mm. is a mentality thing rather than something that can really be taught. But yeah, I mean, he's big athletic. I I only watched a couple games of him so far. And like you said, Andre, I'm kind of iffy on him. I mean, but the Oklahoma state game is hot garbage. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Top 10 would be a stretch, man. You you could trade down and probably land him at 20, I think. If Top not 15, even. yeah. Well, I I don't know. Like, how's he go ahead of Ojulari? How's he go ahead of Mijay Sanders? Yeah. How's he go ahead of, you know, like, I think the off-ball linebackers outside of JOK, who might just be a safety at the next level or like a nickel back. I'm not sure we see many true linebackers in in the first round of this class i think it's going to be like edge rushers wide receivers cornerbacks offensive tackles quarterbacks that's this draft i think that's it i think these guys are what true inside linebackers look like now like as and, and at least in terms of first yeah. round picks i just don't yeah. think you get any more of like the smaller boxier type of guys going in the first round i think we've just gotten to the point well, where sure. like zavin collins is kind of like your to me, like a prototype inside linebacker at this point, that's what you're looking for. And I mean, you could like, there's a whole spectrum sort of of him to like a little bit lighter and quicker. Um, the uh, JOK or, you know, th- there's like some little changes, but I do think that this is the type that eventually you're going to figure out which traits translate to playing inside linebacker in the NFL. And it could be the ones that Collins has. It could be the ones that JOK has. It could be the ones that Micah Parsons has, but that's the future in my mind. One more it's thing hard too. to take Collins when you could get somebody like Dylan Moses later in, in yeah. the draft who has basically all the same qualities and did it against a better. I don't know. I, I guess I got my Bama blinders on here, but <laughs> I just have a hard time with going Collins over a lot of these linebackers. And, and I like no. Collins. I mean, he's a guy who I highlighted as my all American when we were doing that, you know, like a month ago, he's a stud. He's intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just linebackers in general, though, they don't really go in the first round unless you're like a special type, unless you're Roquan Smith, Devin Bush types, which Xavier Collins isn't, frankly. I mean, he just doesn't have the explosiveness and we already talked about it. He just hasn't really shown the nastiness enough for me. Um, So I it'd be very tough for me to see him going in that area. Fun, bold prediction, though. I mean, if he blows up the combine as Pastor Rett's uh, prognosticating, anything's sure. possible. Nick Bolton, Missouri, another guy who kind of fits that mold. Bit of a Devin Bush clone. Um, yeah, to some extent, at least. Well, fellas, I guess no natty to preview, so that's okay. We went long enough as is. Um, 
that's it for the draft pod. We've got nothing but more stuff to talk about from now till past April, where we will be recapping the draft and doing all that fun stuff. Uh, thank you for tuning in from Jake Schwanitz, Justin Michael, Henry Chisholm, and Andre Simone. Uh, we are out. Sit Jay on the